0: Hi, this is Peter Rivera, and I'm the original drummer and lead singer of the group Rare Earth. We've had a long career, 50 years. We've played all over the world. We've recorded many, many albums and lots of hit singles. I'm going to talk about them all. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the stories. So Fred actually quit the band and went into business with a guy by the name of Bob Brower, who for a while wanted to be our manager in the clubs. And they started a team, a team club, Fred and Bob. And, you know, of course we're playing our stuff in the clubs and Fred's got this team club he's doing. And one of the bands that he had in the team club was called Billy Lee and the Rivieras. Well, Billy Lee was knocking around town and uh, eventually he became Mitch Ryder. And then he had Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels and he went off and started recording and had some really big hits. You know, everybody kind of remembers Mitch Ryder. Ralph and Russ, when they left, Russ actually got a job at Motown in the engineering department. And and Ralph, uh, he actually got married and I guess his wife's uncle kind of helped Ralph get into a business and Ralph opened up a recording studio called Tara Sherma. And Tara Sherma did a lot of the overflow from Motown. So Ralph's off doing that and Russ is... Uh, Doing the engineering at Motown, as it turns out years later, which is now. Russ has probably a hundred gold records on his wall. And he was for years and years just sought after, uh, uh, as an engineer, he did Diana Ross and central park. And, and, and he was just always at Motown and, you know, and they'd call him, bring him into To uh, mix songs they had done on everybody, Diana Ross, Jackson Five, Four Tops, Temptations, he he did it all and was so very very successful. And I still know Russ and Ralph, still talk with them after all these years. And and, uh, so we had gotten Steve Fisher on a sax, and then we we got a uh, guitar player who was a local guy. and He had sat in with us a few times. His name was Rod Richards. And he became Sunliner's guitar player, you know, in place of Russ. And then a guy on keyboards, his name was Kenny Fulsick. Kenny was really a great keyboard player. He came in and took over all the stuff of Ralph's, and we... We continued on at the Rooster Tail. We 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 played and we we had good good music going on. The band worked well together and, and uh, so everything was just going along super. One night at a club, there was a fellow there who introduced himself and he wanted to be our manager. And uh, uh you know, we didn't know just who he was or where he came from or anything he well there was a whole story to all of this Uh, his name was Ron Strasner and uh, he had a friend who he made his partner in managing this band and the partner was a hairdresser nice guy real nice guy Dennis Vanderbilt was his name, and he had some clients there uh, that he used to do the hair of was Margaret Gordy, Barry Gordy's ex-wife. So the whole, you know, the whole network of people and friends and all that were centered around his his uh, beauty, uh, his hair salon and we met different people that worked there and there were some nice beautiful girls working there too. And Ron Strasser, he had his eye on one of these ladies and, and then Ron kind of teamed up with, with Gil quite a bit and met a girl at the hair place and, and uh, so now Gil's got a girlfriend and Ron's got a girlfriend, and so they were, like, always together, always doing something together that was apart from anybody in the band. Personally, I think Ron was a pretty good manager in the beginning. I mean, he really cared about the group and wanted us to take these certain steps and do these certain things. I mean, it was all pretty cool. The thing that bothered me about Ron is that he obviously... Uh, put most of his attention on one guy in the band, not the whole band. And that was kind of a weird thing for a while. And, uh, you know, uh, eventually something happened and Motown got a little word about this band. And uh, I don't remember exactly uh, the... Events that took place when I mean I know what happened so eventually a couple people from Motown came to the club and I think one of them was Margaret Gordy and of course we weren't really allowed to talk to any of these people because you know we we had a manager and he talked and then he took uh, this other member of the band with him And the rest of us are over here going, well, what's going on? What's being said? We don't know what's happening. But eventually it it came out that we were going to possibly get a chance to go to Motown Studios and record, or at least try something for a week to see, see see what we had. See what we had. Now, at the time... Um, Barry Gordy had uh, the song Shop Around Smokey Robinson Miracle Shop Around and the rumor had it that in the south where the record was selling that Barry Gordy had a problem collecting his royalties because of the race thing you know so as I heard, rumor had it, that Barry got a hold of this guy who was a promotion guy. His name was Barney Ailis. He was, you know, an Italian guy, you know, really a nice guy, really, you know. So I guess Barney went down south and got Barry's money and all that, and straightened some things out and, Perry made him the vice president of Motel, and as I remember, uh, Barney wanted to tap into the the rock market. FM radio. It's back then. FM stations were playing long cuts off of albums, and all the groups were from England, and you know, for a while there, the the American audience was, you know, turning its back on Motown and and was all about if you were from England, you were in, you know, I mean, that's what it seemed like anyway. And uh, so I guess Barry didn't really want to get into that rock market. He didn't want that on Motown Records or Tamla, which was his other label. And so the word has it that he just said, well, Barney, you know, you want to launch a label like that? You do it. So Barney did it. And we were talking about uh, names of the label. And we had changed our name to Rare Earth by now. So we kind of said, hey, why don't you call it Rare Earth Records? Well, actually, Barney liked that idea. So here it comes, Rare Earth Records. And, of course, we were on the label. And Motown had bought up uh, some some masters from England. And they thought, this is the way we're going to do this. So, anyways, there were other groups on the label, and there was a time where the we went into the studio. We had like five nights in there. <clears throat> and we uh, we recorded songs that were the most popular in the clubs. Everybody in the band sang one song on this recording, Motown. And <clears throat> we had finished. Everybody had done a song, and we were short of time for an album. So. We went back out and we did get ready, and this this time we did it, and everybody took solos, and God, we played it for well, it was twenty one minutes long, and so okay, we're gonna keep the whole doggone thing as one whole side of the album. So we did, and uh, we had the Get Ready album. Well, here comes the company is gonna throw this big coming out party for the new label, Rare Earth Records, and we went downtown for the big uh, show and tell for the for this label. And all the groups were there, and all the radio people were there, and all the magazines and the publications, Cashbox and Billboard, they were all there. So here it is, the big day of Rare Earth Records with the group Rare Earth and uh gosh it was it was an exciting time we uh thought you know i mean this is all new for us so we uh i'll tell you a little bit about the recording i remember when we went to the studio for the first time we took all our gear down at the club piled it in the cars and went over there to the studios it's set up like two o'clock in the morning and uh You know, there were drums there that you couldn't touch because they had a a young kid that was blind, Stevie Wonder, and he knew where the drums were, so don't change anything there. And we were in the Hitsville studio, which is now a museum on West Grand Boulevard in Detroit, Hitsville. So we started recording. And one song, two, three, four, put some vocals on it, you know, after the track was cut, and I remember uh, finishing up that record, and, and again, we really didn't know what was going on, you know, we had no experience at it. From time to time over the years, we had gone into a recording studio, a little studio to record some kind of idea, so we had, uh, and that Bob Brower, the manager of us for a while he had a label called hercules so we'd do this song that song with a b side and there's our new single on hercules nobody played it you know we got it on make it or break it once in detroit there we had so many friends call in to make it make it make it it was like the highest amount of make it's they ever heard (laughs) and no break it's so they were forced to play our record for like that week that was, the, that was the trade-off. And, and if, it, if, it made, if it made it, they'd play it for a while. So that kind of stuff went on. But when we went in Motel, we didn't know exactly what we were doing. But prior to going into Motel, we had met these, this production team, these two guys, uh, Mike Theodore and Dennis Coffey. And Theodore had a way of getting a record deal through Sussex Records. So we went in with him and we did, with these two guys, we did a whole album, a couple of cover songs, and then a lot of other songs that Theodore and Coffee had written. And uh, uh, we we did it. You know, it was fun to do. We did it at Ralph's, Ralph's studio, Tara Sherba. At You know, it was shortly after that that we got our connections into Motown. And so nothing ever happened with that record. Uh, It was called Dream's Answers, and Verve Records actually put it out. And Motown didn't pay much attention to it because it wasn't really doing anything, but now Motown wanted us to do some recording, and so that takes us back to what I was talking about, The Five Nights. We came out of Motown with that album, and as a matter of fact, the funny thing about it is is I sang the lead vocal to get ready up in the offices of Motown's administrative building. They had a recorder up there, and I went in there and sang the, the lead vocal. I mean it was just crazy, you know we were doing all kinds of different stuff. I do remember that though, singing that song in the office building, it was crazy. But nevertheless the record came out and no one played it, oh no one played it and we wanted so bad to have this happen, you know, and a few months went by. And finally somebody played, well Barney Alis, he took the twenty-one minute version and he asked the engineers to cut it down to like three minutes. So they did, first verse, second verse, bridge, third verse, and out. And they put it out as a single. Well, guess what? Somebody played it in Washington, and played it in Baltimore, and they played it in Atlanta, played it in Miami. It kept growing and growing and growing, and all of a sudden, we were on the Billboard charts. One, two, three... <laughs> Well, thanks for listening. My name is Peter Rivera, original lead singer, drummer of Rare Earth, and I really appreciate that you've listened to these podcasts. I hope you come back and check out more. I've got a lot ahead of us and a lot of the story for you, so come on back and hang with me for a while. I bring you flowers, baby, cause you're the best. I'm gonna treat you so much better than all the rest. I pull the chair out, Open and close the door You ain't never had a lover quite like